Its actual definition, orthorexia, is an obsession with healthy eating or healthy food, which seems like a little bit of an oxymoron. And yet it's that word of obsession that is important to highlight in that definition. Welcome to the Holistic Nutrition Hub podcast. Today I am here with Cindy, who is a registered holistic nutritionist, eating psychology counselor, and eating disorder recovery coach specializing in culinary nutrition and currently completing her functional nutrition certification. That was a really big mouthful. <laughs> um, but what I want to do is just get you to introduce yourself um, a little bit more in depth about how you arrived at becoming a holistic nutritionist in the first place, uh, and then why you chose um, eating disorder recovery as your niche, it sounds like. Great. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me today, Lynn. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, my journey to becoming a um, holistic nutritionist probably get, began as a child because I was always really into food and I always had um, a draw towards creating food and cooking. And, um, I was a competitive gymnast for about 12 years growing up. And, uh, then after I left gymnastics, I developed an eating disorder, which lasted quite a long time, um, well into my late twenties, early thirties. And as I was sort of pulling out of that, just naturally for the most part, um, I actually had a cancerous tumor growing in my colon. So uh, my child was a year and a half at the time, and I had to go in for this massive, very invasive, um, life-altering surgery and came out of that really realizing that I had a lot of healing to do around my past with food Um and the eating disorder and its connection to the health of my gut. Mm -hmm. And I was also just at a crux in my life and needed a new path. So I came across um, the registered holistic nutrition program and I started with that. And then as I was doing that training, I was also doing a lot of uh, self-discovery and personal healing that really needed to happen. And so that led me further into the eating psychology program and then the eating disorder recovery program as well, because um, I just really felt drawn towards not only learning more, but being able to provide help and support and guidance for people who had been in my shoes. Um, and I feel like we're just, we're so much more powerful as practitioners when we're able to come from a place of real life experience. Um, so that, that's, that's the, the short of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I always like to say like, we are our own ideal client and like whatever experience that we've gone through that has helped us arrive here on our journey is the best thing that we can be doing in our co coaching practice, even if it's really difficult for us at first to like kind of confront that aspect of us I really do think like you don't have better experience than that right like you've been through it you've walked through those shoes you have the message you know some of the like pain points and some of the difficulties 
And how is somebody supposed to listen to you, you know, in terms of a business kind of uh, plan, how is somebody supposed to listen to you if they don't feel like you can relate to them? So um, I was wondering if you could dig a little bit more into how an eating disorder could relate to gut health um, in terms of obviously your own journey, but like maybe explaining how, how eating disorders could even lead to gut health issues. Yeah, I love that question. Um, uh, well, eating disorders are so uh, rooted in this disconnect between our mind, our mental health, and what's happening in the gut. And when we are in the throes of an eating disorder or a dysfunctional relationship with food, I like that term as well. Um, it's a little bit more of an umbrella term. Uh, we we just really aren't paying attention to what's happening in our digestive system. We're not listening to cues of hunger and satiation. And in fact, we're doing the opposite. We're really turning those off. And so not only are, is there potentially overeating or binge eating and purging, which physiologically can create problems, um, but also there's this real severe detachment between the health of the digestive system and the health of the mind and that really key uh, gut brain communication mm -hmm. of the vagus nerve and you know that idea of being connected to our parasympathetic nervous system and relaxing the digestive system while we're eating and and so forth that's really not there so when someone is eating in a state of stress, as we're quite well aware, now uh, we tend to put a strain on our digestive system and the digestive system isn't working as well as it should. And then we start to compromise its functions and our nutrient assimilation and all that as well. Never mind the food choice. So, you know, if someone is eating the wrong foods or they're not eating enough foods, then that in itself can create problems in the gut. Right. And there's lots of nutrient deficiencies too, that can be linked to kind of, um, I don't want to say like recreating the, the symptoms of, um, an eating disorder or something like that. But zinc, for example, you know, like is in relation to like hunger cues and things like that as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so can you describe like what some of the different eating disorders are that we might come across when we're in practice or, um, you know, when we're looking online. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there, I really love to look at eating disorders from this place of um, a, a spectrum because we have, you know, we've been trained in as practitioners, at least a little bit to understand what is anorexia and bulimia and binge eating disorder. Um, and yet there are all these other dysfunctional relationships on this eating disorder spectrum that we don't talk about that much. There's chronic dieting, um, there's binge eating, which I mentioned already, but there's like, there's in part binge eating, right? And then there's also one of the bigger, you know, the elephant in the room is like this disordered mental relationship with food. So maybe not, maybe there isn't existing an eating disorder that we can exactly pinpoint 
And yet the person has this really unhealthy relationship with food. And then we have orthorexia as well. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more terms now than there used to be. And as holistic nutritionists, we may see people with some of the cues that don't necessarily fall into a, an applicable clinical diagnosis. Hmm. Right. Cause like we see chronic dieting, we see, you know, emotional eating, like all of those things. And it took a long time, like even for myself, it took me a long time to realize like I do kind of like binge eat when I'm feeling stressed out or emotional. And it's like, how can you have a better relationship with the food that you're eating or a better relationship with your stress or a better relationship with your trauma? Um, so you touched on some of the um, kind of blanket terms that we know very clearly, but what are some of the symptoms that might um, show somebody, you know, as a practitioner that there might be some kind of other um, symptom that kind of falls under this blanket term. Yeah. Um, I think there, we see a lot of anxiety and depression, um, interconnected with a dysfunctional food relationship. Hmm. Um, you know, one of the biggest 10 telltale, um, signs, I guess you could say is a uh, restriction or obsession. And so obsession can look like something negative and it can also present as something positive. And we see that on the other side nowadays with orthorexia, where there is this great obsession with healthy food or organic food or supplementation. And it may look healthy from the outside, but in fact, you know, once we kind of dig a little deeper, it's, it actually is creating a lot of stress and anxiety an upheaval um, on a deeper on a deeper level. Hmm. Do you want to dive into that a little bit more? Because I feel like it's such a common thing that <clears throat> that we maybe don't think enough about as the the stress that we put on ourselves. Where this might be relevant, let's first of all maybe answer that question. Like where this kind of um, I'm not going to call it obsessive. Um, patterns with eating but like maybe being conscientious about what you're eating like you've had food sensitivities or like allergies or gut health issues and so you've been really focused on trying to rectify those issues and then maybe it tumbles into something deeper than that and you can have a lot of fear of like reintroduction and, and those sorts of things so like do you want to maybe just in your experience kind of I don't know dissect some of those um, topics yeah, I mean, I think that was the place I went to personally when I came out of uh, my colon cancer experience and uh, re refused um, the chemo that was recommended to me and instead went down this route of functional holistic medicine. And not only was I taking the program, but I was also uh, reading massive amounts of information on cancer and holistic strategies. And then we were cleaning out, I was cleaning out my home and I was cleaning out, you know, my life, so to speak, completely changed. And I remember at one point having so many bottles of supplements that, mm -hmm. I mean, I just didn't know what, which end was up. And I remember coming out of that a little while later and reflecting upon it and thinking, oh yeah, I did go through that where 
you even even when we study as nutritionists, you're like, oh no, I should be taking that. I must be deficient in this. And I see myself in those symptoms and I see myself in uh, these disorders, you know, and they're what I think we really need to watch out for is when we feel out of balance or in a place of negativity with it. So it is, it is a slippery slope and information is power and it's awesome and it's everywhere and we're inundated with it. Mm -hmm. So that's great. And it also can be a little bit of a, a hindrance for us where um, if we reflect it back on ourselves, we may create a little bit in, you know, anxiety um, or feelings that we're not doing enough or being good enough with our, with our practice and with our lives. And so I think it's important to, to note that every, everyone's individual balance of mental health, emotional health, physical health is just so unique and individual that what may be healthy for one person might not be healthy for the next. And it's important to, you know, cultivate awareness around your relationship with food and your relationship with supplements, with exercise, with, you know, your dedication to um, your regular routines, etc. And constantly assess, you know, am I in a place of balance? And if I'm not, what's out of balance and how can I get myself back to a, a healthy place, a wholesome, happy place of balance with food? And I think that's really individualized and we just have to be tuned in um, and present within ourselves enough to be able to recognize it. Right. I feel like when we have all the ideologies that are kind of flying around in terms of like, this diet's perfect for you, this diet's perfect for you, you should be eating like this and you need to be eating like this. And it's like, okay, well, step back just for just one minute and let's see what everything else, like what else is going on with that person. First of all, um, something for me that comes like up is like wanting to ask you, like, what do you think is at the root of an eating disorder? Yeah, I, I, I mean, not like one thing, but like, if you could, yeah, if you could sum it up, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit tricky and not, I mean, there are some key things. And again, we come back to that thing of everybody's unique and individual. So, so what might have sparked an eating disorder in me might is of course going to be different for someone else. Um, for sure, some things that are put us in a place more of risk than other things, um, for sure, trauma. So sexual trauma, we see a really high correlation between a young sexual trauma and the development of eating disorders. And that is really rooted, eating disorders are really rooted in this um, sense of wanting to find control in something. And so along that same vein, um, you know, children who are raised in families with uh, very controlling, restrictive parents, especially if there was any disordered eating happening within the home, um, especially with the mom, 
we really see a, a mirror reflection between the relationship between the mother and the child and what their food relationships and ends up looking like um, because you know mothers are meant to nurture they're the, our source of first food and if there's um, a tension trauma challenges there it may present as an eating disorder down the line um, and we also see very high correlation uh, which which definitely rings true for myself in um, young ladies particularly who were in fitness sports like aesthetic sports I guess that's a term now <clears throat> aesthetic sports so gymnastics figure skating dance ballet the, those kind of sports where the body uh, tends to, um, or we have this ideology about uh, about how the body should look when young women are in those sports. So there's a strong correlation there. Um, yeah, and, and really I think for what I see a lot with my clients is when they were raised in a home where they didn't have a very strong sense of safety, um then I also see that as this correlation which could also be you know we could also call that trauma mm -hmm. right um I see a correlation in the development of an eating disorder later in life and this like a uh, drastic grasp at trying to um nurture ourselves in the way that we weren't nurtured growing up yeah yeah. So there's, I mean, there's lots of things and, and of course that's not everything. No, of course. Yeah. I think the trauma piece definitely connects back to like what you were saying about being connected to your body, being aware of how it feels, being aware of like the sensations and the cues and all of those things. And just knowing what I know about trauma is like the disconnection between the body and the mind and then everything in between. Right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so what are some of the common signs and symptoms that maybe a practitioner should be like on the lookout for? Um, we'll touch on like when you should refer out in a, in a little bit, but like, what are some, some of the signs and symptoms that maybe somebody who's coming to see you does have um, dysfunctional eating, let's say? Yeah, good question. Um, a track record of lots of dieting is certainly one like I've tried this and then I tried that and then I tried this and I did this and I tried this and and someone who's always jumping on the next diet train um, is one and uh, also like a someone who is really coming in for nutrition advice looking to lose weight um, who maybe doesn't seem like they need to lose weight mm. um, the other big one I would say is like that restriction mindful uh, piece where if the client is speaking about, um, you know, I, I try to be good about that, but I, but I, but I can't do it all the time mm. or, you know, signs that someone is trying really hard to restrict and restrain themselves and yet um, they indulge and feel really bad about it. Mm. Um, which is super, it, I mean, that's common in lots of people, but if that's really ringing really strong through the language, um, good and bad foods, this reference to good and bad foods, um, and really watching, I think paying attention to a negative self-talk mm. that 
comes forward and you know I, I try to be good but I but I I'm I usually can't because I have no willpower or right um that kind of language is good to pay attention to I think we all have a little bit of it or I should say I shouldn't say we all do I should say it's very common it's very common to see at least some of that but when it's really coming through in a strong way and it seems like it's doing harm right right it's not a positive thing they're not doing it for their own good well maybe they think they're doing it for their own good <laughs> yeah. um, this kind of leads perfectly into like the next question is like back to like the orthorexia because I feel like you just kind of explained a little bit about what orthorexia is do you want to be really clear on what orthorexia is versus like binge eating versus um anorexia for example yeah it's actual definition orthorexia is an obsession with healthy eating or healthy food which seems like a little bit of an oxymoron and yet it's that word of obsession that is important to highlight in that definition. Um, whereas it's, it's great to eat healthy, to make healthy choices and to have balance. And when we start tipping the scales towards that unhealthy relationship, that imbalance where healthy food be, starts to become an obsession. So um, there's, a, there's restriction and there's limitations and there is um, a relationship that develops there that is not relaxed and or potentially joyful around mm. food. Yeah, and I think that's where, and, and this is a relatively new term. I don't know how long it's been around. I wanna say maybe 15 years or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so where we have seen you know, we, we've come a little bit out of the diet obsession and, and we've moved towards this healthy food obsession as a society, which is, a, you know, generally a pretty positive shift. And yet we still see a lot of the same kind of behaviors and mentality that was existing with what we would call the diet mentality that's now still there or prevalent in this more healthy food choice mentality. And so we really, what we really want to look for is that when it becomes so much of an obsession that it's negatively impacting the person in other areas, you know, right. mind, in our, in our mental health, in our emotional state, right. And the ability to be calm and relaxed around food, et cetera. Mm, okay. Cause that's it. Like it, I have multiple stories, obviously. And I, like, I want to kind of dig into this because I think I've, I've just before the call, we kind of talked about this very, very briefly, but you know, in other conversations that I've had with holistic nutritionists, you know, like we always kind of joke like, Oh, maybe we do have orthorexia or, Oh, maybe, maybe this behavior isn't actually really that great. And it's trying to figure out like the love for food and like nutrition and what should be balanced in, in our diet. And then trying to recognize like, okay, when is this becoming too, too much? And so like, it's always been a really interesting conversation for me to kind of open that up because I always wonder is like, okay, I love eating healthy, right? I have my own health challenges. So I know that if I eat something, 
that is going to trigger, like, I know if I have a glass of wine, it's going to trigger like symptoms in me right away. My whole face will go red, like not just like rosy from drinking, but like a full on, like almost lupus, like butterfly. And I know it's like a direct thing, but then you have these people are, who are definitely for like the body positivity movement. And then also making sure that, you know, there isn't just a bunch of um, dysfunctional eating running around. It's like, how do you know Cause that's like always where I'm like pulled in two directions. Am I being too stringent with my health issues or am I, you know, just where I should be? Um, because for me, it's like, I also have this pull to uh, create better like food systems too. Right. Whereas like, I really believe the food that's being mass produced is completely unhealthy and that we should have a better connection to our land and the food that we're eating and know our farmer and all of those things. But then that's my obsession, but is that an unhealthy <laughs> obsession? I clearly think too much. So that <laughs> is where I wonder, you know, it's, I see so many of us with these kind of situations. It's like, okay, what is actually healthy and what's not? Do you see the same thing? <laughs> yeah, I do. And I, I think where the, the, the add-on trainings that I've had beyond the nutrition training and even the functional nutrition training that I'm doing right now has really helped me as a practitioner be more compassionate and well-rounded and uh, lenient and versatile. And I think that's really important because when you have a client come in and there's a little bit of these tendencies there. And I say, okay, well, I, you know, we can definitely get rid of all these symptoms. You just have to do this lot, you know, this long list of things that I'm going to recommend and off you go. And for anyone who struggles with um, imbalance or dysfunctional eating tendencies, um, they, I might set them up to fail and I don't want to do that. Right. So I, one of the things that I do in my practice, and I'm going to get to the, the practitioner piece. One of, the, one of the things I do in my practice is always work with the work with the things that are easiest for my client to accomplish. Like what, what do you know you can accomplish? Like we know you should probably not drink five cups of coffee. And we know you probably shouldn't drink this much alcohol. And we know you shouldn't be eating gluten. What of those things sounds like it's doable for you right and then we we adjust from there and we move forward and it similarly when we're look when we're evaluating ourselves um, or we're trying to look after ourselves in the best way possible as practitioners I think it's really important to have leniency and to have compassion towards the self and an ability to look within and cultivate awareness in around what our healthy balance looks like and really be solid in that. And the more solid we are in that, the better we can show up for our clients. And maybe that is for me means that I'm never gonna let go of coffee because I love coffee. And I, I know I shouldn't drink coffee and yet I love it and it, <laughs> you know, this is just an example and it doesn't upset my system so much that I know it's doing more damage than it's doing good. And that piece of joy for me 
every day gives me more than it would to eliminate that from my diet, even though I know it's maybe not the best thing for me. And so I think always checking in, I love, I love the obsession with, um, you know, farm food and local food and changing the food systems and advocating for a better food availability and distribution. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's Just about, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, checking. We all need to be kind of on the same rah-rah team for that, I would imagine. But yeah, I think when we can evaluate what's happening for us, and if that means that I have to be really restrictive around food because I have really nasty food allergies, and I know if I tip those scales, then I get right out of balance and I it's hard for me to get back, then that's my truth. That's my 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 healthy golden balance zone. And so as practitioners, we need to know what those how where that is and allow forgiveness and you know notice when we have feelings of guilt and shame, which are like the hallmarks of dysfunctional eating. When we notice those are creeping in for us, then it's time for us to reevaluate. And is it is it that I have to be that I have to tighten the reins, or is it that I actually have to start letting go a little bit? Mm-hmm. And that you know that push pull is where um, we, sometimes we get lost. I like what you said there in terms of you know like maybe just letting go a bit. Like I I talked about like ideologies and like back to your point about like coaching simplicity, I said, I, I think like that was really, I think we often as practitioners kind of forget where we started is like, we were coming usually from our own health issues and then maybe eating a standard American diet and then cleaning that up to help with our own health issue. Right. That's pretty standard, I would say across the board. And I think we forget that the majority of people are starting like either because they want to get healthy because of some kind of health condition and that they're starting at this standard American diet and that we don't need to put all of our experience as health coaches on top of them, including the long list of recommendations and the long list of like, this is what you have to change. And that's kind of back to that whole, like, do we all have some kind of dysfunctional kind of relationship with what our journey kind of uh, brought with us and are we putting that onto our clients instead of maybe creating a plan that's specific to them yeah that's right yeah and it's an important thing to step back and evaluate I think um, and to um, notice and work with our clients like where they are and not expect you know them to be beyond their goals and you know um stick our own ideology of what we want how we want them to succeed on them and instead listening to what you know because for some clients they just want to improve a couple steps and that's good enough for them and if that's good enough for them then that's beautiful right I agree with you yeah and and I find like I'm going to go to like client I don't want to say compliance but like a client actually being successful and you helping them get from goal 
their goal to actually being successful. It is not by piling on a bunch of information. Um, I definitely think like being as simple as possible with them at the beginning. It's also one reason why I advocate like nutrition coaching versus like meal plans or versus like this way of eating. Um, because I think that it just kind of takes out that bit of like, I want you to eat this way. And they can kind of take back that like emotional power towards their relationship with food, their relationship with like, where they're even buying it and like reconnecting that piece within themselves, right? Because we all, well, I think that food is very cultural, like it has to be interlaced within the culture. And because we've lost a lot of our car culture, we've lost a lot of our food practices. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would absolutely I would. And I think it's also been indoctrinated into us this idea of this idea, the idea of dieting, which then has morphed into the idea of idealism around food um, instead of an activity and balance. So Yes, I agree with you. You know, do we all have some kind of dysfunctional eating relationship, potentially to a, a mild degree, because it's impossible for us not to have been affected by all the years of, um, you know, marketing and social media influence and, um, you know, factory commercial business influence etc so yeah that's the biggest challenge is how do we get back to um, becoming intuitive with food and connected with our earth mm -hmm. through food and each other mm -hmm. I mean, it's a long way back it's doable but it's a long way back I know I was having this discussion, actually, this is a really interesting topic, but I was having this discussion with my husband because it's like, we, we hear, hear the term ancestral eating and we think back, like when we hear that term, and I know it's thrown around in like the functional medicine realm quite a bit is like ancestral eating was, you know, 20,000 years ago, maybe 200,000 years ago. <laughs> and we're thinking of ourselves as like Neanderthals, but if we even just go back a hundred years ago 150 years ago the majority of people were eating farm to table or you know hunting meat or those kinds of things and I think that there is a way to get back to that to be more sustainable because obviously the world's grown quite a bit but I like to think of like ancestral eating as being a term that we should be thinking about that is really not that far behind us and there's a way to bring it forward um, and we don't have to rely on these like factory farmed well, and the more factory farm things that are coming, which is a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know I'm with you. Um, so what can people do if they think that's, this is back to that question that I said that I didn't write and now I can't read it out. <laughs> <laughs> what if they think that someone they know might have an eating yeah. disorder. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Listeners, yeah. we obviously went through this question before and had the same problem. <laughs> it's fluid. It's good. Um, you know, I actually just sat on an eating disorder panel here in in town in Nelson, um, where I'm living, um, with a bunch of dancers and gymnasts, um, which was organized by one of the one of the dance studios, which was such a beautiful offering. And and one of the participants had we had a 
a jar where they put their questions in the jar. And that, that came up a couple times actually. And I love that question because it's such an important one for young women to think about, to maybe um, spend some time moving around in their mind and um, get some, some direction from um, adults or, and, or people, professionals who are in the industry. So, you know, my advice, which I, which I would stick to now is that what's most important is to be there for them, to make sure that they feel loved unconditionally and that they feel as though whatever they would want to say would be heard with compassion and without judgment. And I think that's one of the most important things. If this is someone you know, and we're outside of talking about being a practitioner now, is that how you meant it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's no forcing someone into recovery. It, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Mm. They have to want it and they have to get to a place of um, acceptance before they're ready. And if someone with an eating disorder in general, if they feel cornered um, or pressured, the, the, the likely response is for them to turn away. Mm. So I would advocate that the, the, the tone is soft and the, you know, any kind of pressure put on them to talk is also very soft and done from a place of love. And it's not always easy for us to do that because sometimes we can get really angry with people who we love, who are harming themselves. And I get that. That's very real and it's valid. And yet it's not useful for the other person to experience. So just to be calm with it ourselves, to accept that we can't do any of the changing for them and nor can we force them into change. Um, and the best thing is to just make yourself available and make sure that they know they can come to you with absolutely anything. Amazing. I like that answer. I feel like that's like how we should approach coaching in the first place. Like people come to us, we don't place judgment on them. They're able to come with an open mind and open heart to us. So we should have the same back to them. And I think that is something that I don't know if I figured out until much farther into my own practice. I mean, it's called a practice for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um But I think that, you know, like making sure that we just come at it with grace and, you know, trying to walk them through whatever journey it is that they're kind of on at that moment. Um, This kind of made me think of a question along the lines of like, what does a daily, not a daily, let's say, what does it look like to work in this sphere as a nutrition practitioner? You know, like what types of things, if somebody's thinking about getting into um, this niche, what would be kind of like your experience with it? And um, how do you work with your clients? Yeah, um, I really got a lot out of the eating psychology program that I took. Um, that was through the Institute of the psychology of eating. 
I did that a long time ago. And what I received from that was this idea, which you test touched on earlier, um, which was um, becoming a nutrition coach as opposed to, um, you know, just a practitioner. And um, I, I gained a lot of skills through that training, which really helped support me cohesively in my practice. Um, so that would be one avenue that I would suggest is some kind of add on to the the RHN training that involves um, furthering coaching or counseling. Mm -hmm. um, and then the eating disorder recovery coaching program that I did, there are a few different options out there. I took mine through um, Dr. Dory McCubbery. And there's also a woman who's um, putting on the same kind of training and she comes from Vancouver and I can't remember her name right now, but she has a couple of really great books. Um, and so definitely getting certified to work with eating disorders specifically is really important. Um, just to have that the basis of knowledge, what to look for when you're out of your scope, and then, you know, some, some tools um, to lead you through working with your clients. And then as far as my practice goes, um, I really, I work so individually with my clients. Um, so some of my clients want a more nutritional information focus. And some of my clients really need more guidance in um, the emotional and the mental health side. So I kind of feel like I'm always there for them with wherever, whichever way they need to lean towards most. I always integrate worksheets into my work with my eating disorder clients. Um, so those are body image, like self-love, self-care, just like reflective stuff, a lot of self-love practices and in, intuition practices. Um, I Because, you know, really one of the things we see a lot with eating disorders is just kind of like a, this loss of sense, sorry, this loss of self. Yes. You know, like, who am I and what are my foundational things? Like, and I definitely experienced that in my own journey. Like, I feel like I lost myself for a good 10 years of my life. And I, because I, my, I was so all consumed by the eating disorder that I lost a lot of other things fell away from me. So helping the clients getting back, recognizing what are their passions? What did they used to love before? What makes them light up, Right. Um, and then the journal is, of course, a really um, useful tool, a place we work a lot. And I, I do also find like the nutritional teaching I find is really impactful, you know, teaching about how blood sugar works, like foundations, what are carbs, proteins, fats, why do we need them? How do they work in the body? foundational stuff about what's happening with the digestive system and all those little pieces of information. I think they just help my, the clients understand the, the basic physiology of what is meant to happen when we eat food so that they can start to kind of really picture it differently and understand it differently. And then of course, we're always really working on the, the mind gut connection 
and intuitive eating practices are really beneficial. Um, slow eating, deep breathing, and then of course supporting them with stress and anxiety, depression, that along the same vein. So really in that kind of holistic wheel, <laughs> yeah. um, but I guess there's some specific strategies for the eating disorders um, weaved in there as well. That's really interesting that you um, kind of touch on all of those pieces because I'm like a firm believer that it's like true health has to start with self-care, you know, like you cannot feed into no pun intended guys. Um, <laughs> you can't feed into like the nutrition piece or the like fitness piece or the, you know, stress piece or the sleep piece if you're not ready to take care of yourself. And so it's like, un kind of doing the trauma, undoing um, some of the maybe like disconnection between mind and body, mind and gut, mind and intuition. Like we always say, like, trust your gut, like that intuition that is missing. And when those pieces kind of come back, everything else becomes much simpler to do. And it doesn't become an obsession. It becomes a, a from a place of self-care and self-love um, instead of having it like almost like a torture mechanism. Like I didn't do this well enough, so I'm going to just do this in return. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's something that I've kind of been like, of course I said, you know, like I always question whether or not I have an eating disorder or something like that, but it's like, am I doing this out of self-love or am I doing this as a destructive behavior? And that's really like when I'm trying to decipher whether this is for my health or for, you know, or can I let go just a little bit just to, you know, feel a little bit more free with my health concerns, you know, cause it is like a balance. Like you are managing a lot of times you're managing these um, conditions and it can be really difficult to know, like, am I doing it because it's good for me or am I doing it because I think something bad is going to happen? Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge. And I also like another thing that I thought of, like, while we were talking before too, is like, you know, I have, um, my son has allergies and so they're getting better over time. And so we can be less restrictive with what he eats, but then, you know, there's all these other things like we'll let him eat something that he normally probably wouldn't, but then his behavior shifts or he'll wet the bed or something like that. And you're like, okay, well, that was worth it, but do I want to be doing the laundry after, you know, like letting him do that and letting him see the shifts in his like mental uh, change too. Like if he eats, obviously with his allergies, it's a whole gut issue, but it's like, if he eats a ton of sugar, like what happens to him mentally and emotionally after he eats that and he'll binge on it, which is really sad. And it's like hard for me because it's like, these allergies create these behaviors. And because he's finally like let into like this little kingdom of sugar or into the kingdom of things that he wouldn't normally get to eat, uh, then he kind of binges and goes off like the back end. And it's like, okay, am I <laughs> setting him up for success around, you know, being conscientious about what he's putting in his body because it could really hurt him? Or am I creating more of a problem down the line with like, making sure we're like trying to get rid of these allergies in the first place. It's tricky. Yeah, it's a tricky, it's a tricky balance with raising kids for sure, because you don't want to, um, you don't want them to feel like you're controlling or you are restricting them too much. 
they need to have an element of food freedom, especially like my, I have a teenager now. So, you know, that's a whole other ball game. Um, so it, it's, it's tricky, like you said, and I don't think there's a formula. I think there's just a doing what, doing as best as you can and always supplying them with really good food and lots of information and lots of encouragement. And then, you know, as they get older, I think they'll, you have to trust you've done the best that you can and, and let them take it from there. And I think that's really important because if we think back to like how we were as teenagers, back to like the whole marketing piece of like, I feel like food marketing really started when we were younger. Um, I don't think we're too far from each other's age, but um I think that it started then and you start to wonder like how much of that is really ingrained in us and how is it now playing out with kids on social media, kids on, you know, YouTube, watching all of these videos. Like we very rarely let um, my son watch YouTube, but there's like this just eat commercial and it like plays a hundred times a day. And it's like, what is, <laughs> how do we navigate all of these things and hope that, um, that they come out better on the other side? Cause I do see a lot of like what we went through as uh, kids kind of surfacing now in, in what I recognize in myself too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I, I honestly, I just think we do the best we can just do the best we can. And there's no right or wrong. You know, there's, it's just love, compassion, firm boundaries, teach them well. Fair. Right. I love it. Well, mm -hmm. I want to end the podcast with um, telling us what is inspiring you at the moment. Oh, that's tough because I am really just always inspired. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a person who has a lack of inspiration. I burn out every once in a while and then I have to regroup and, um, and put it all back yeah. together. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I am actually quite inspired by um, some networking that I've been doing recently. I realized where I live, um, I've mentioned Nelson because it's more people tend to know where that is, but I actually live in a tiny little town called Weimar of like 300 people in the mountains and it's beautiful and I love this rural life um, and it's lonely and it can be challenging as a practitioner to not have other practitioners around me. And so I, it's kind of like my goal moving forward um, into the new year is to um, put out more feelers and do more networking and maybe do some offerings by teaming up with other practitioners and learning from others out there. Um, so I guess that's really inspiring me it's inspiring me to branch out. Um, I'm also really inspired by this program that I'm doing with Josh Gatalis, who's just like um, functional medicine guru and a really incredible teacher. And so I'm just learning so much more in-depth information about gut health, mental health, um, like consulting practices and all of that. And that's really um just given me more foundational information to work with, which is super inspiring. Yeah. I think functional medicine is definitely like once you take the holistic nutritionist, like training of any kind, like diving into functional medicine and seeing, 
I mean, a lot of our training is based on like naturopathy, functional medicine and things like that, but it's amazing to hear them speak um, and, and dig into it. And I love like the whole collaborative piece. I am a, that's like my, my word for the year is like collaboration, you know, like how can we collaborate together as practitioners to make the industry like stronger and change the industry and the view of the industry too, right? Like kind of take the name that we're not just like, I use this term all the time on the podcast, but like snake oil salesmen, you know, like we do have a lot to offer. And I think a lot of people have many, many different certifications and many different skill sets. And if we can find a way to collectively come together and share those things, it becomes even more powerful. And that's, I mean, ultimately one reason why I'm trying to get as many practitioners on the podcast as I possibly can to be like, hey, we are all out here. We all all are doing the work. We all can be successful. Like, how can we do that? And how can we support each other in doing that? Yeah, so good. Strength in numbers. 100%. So I thank you, obviously, for coming on the podcast today. Last thing before we leave, what is the one book? I did ask you about the favorite book, but then we decided what's the one book that you use the most in your practice? Yeah, you know, I always go back to my text from um, Holistic Nutrition, which is like, what's that called? Um, Staying Healthy with Nutrition. Mm, so yeah. I go back to that for functional, like not for functional, for um, like fundamental things. I do yeah. go back to that a lot. The other one I use, which I cross-reference with is the natural medicine, the encyclopedia for natural medicine. Mm. Use that one a lot too. Um, and, and, you know, as far as eating disorder recovery stuff goes, I use the intuitive eating principles. So I use that book a lot. And uh, one that I've been really excited about lately is called the eight keys for recovering from an eating disorder. And that is by Carolyn something. It's that woman who um, runs the recovery coaching program in Vancouver. Um, And that one's been useful too, but all the books I'm always, I'm like a chronic book buyer. I just like, I can't help myself. I'm like, I want to know that too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And I think we're all chronic learners in this, in this realm. And I think we all should be, I mean, there's nothing wrong with learning, but you know, it's like, how do you decipher and take all of that information and turn it into something that's actually usable in our practice and our business, but um, keep reading because uh, we need it. Yeah. Anyways, I want to say thank you for being here today. I really appreciate your time. I, I hope that this helps, you know, somebody somewhere. I'm sure it will. And um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing your journey and a bit of your knowledge with us. If um, people want to find you or connect with you, where's the best place to do that? On my website, cindyspratt.com, pretty much all my info is up there. And uh, that's a great way to get a hold of me. Um, can email directly through the website. That's great. Awesome. All right. 